Okay? And uh, I'm not going to give you any notice for this. I'm going to share one testimony about prayer. And if you've got a one or two line testimony about prayer, then form a queue here and come and share it. Okay? Uh, here's mine. Uh, uh, and this happens to be a, one of those bigger ones. When I was going off the rails in my 20s, uh, early, uh, late teens, early 20s, mum, as far as I can tell, got the whole of England and possibly a little bit of Wales and maybe a, a dab of Scotland and Northern Ireland praying for me uh, to the point where then uh, I walked into church one Sunday evening with Meg who was uh, really not doing God or church at all and I was trying to run away as best we could and God landed on both of us and rescued both of us in one evening. Um, thanks mum. Uh, no, well, was actually, thanks mum. Wasn't that great? Have you got a kind of one or two line testimony about prayer that you could share? Come on. Come now. You must have. Right, Rachel's going to start. You can think of one on the way up. I need at least three more people. Come on now. Come on. And, and Susanna. There you go. Two more people. Come on. Great. One more person. No, hang on. Yeah, you keep coming. It needs to be a bloke. <laughs> Sorry, it does. There must be a bloke out there who's had a prayer answered. And it can't be Rick. Come on, you start, and then we need a bloke up here as well. I was, I was serious when I said I don't know where to start because, because God's been answering my prayers for 30 years. So what can I say? He saved me. He saved me extraordinarily and miraculously because I think my granny prayed for me. So that was a miracle of grace. And now I believe he's on the case of my family. And, you know, it doesn't matter how long you have to pray because it's just, it's just time, time, the, the length of time that we, that it takes doesn't matter because in God's economy, it's all good. Great. Thank you, Rachel. Susanna. And we need a bloke up here. Otherwise, I'm going to do like roving Mike, Peter. Well done. Come on, sir. Okay, well, mine is very much about uh, those of you who know me, my wonderful stepson, who causes me quite a few issues every now and again. Um, and I pray for him. A lot of people have prayed for him recently. And he came down the stairs a couple of Sundays ago and said to me, I'm going to start again. He said, I'm going to concentrate on me. I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. I'm going to stop smoking. He's only 15, so he shouldn't really be doing that. Um, can you help me? And he's really, really putting the effort. So the big man's up there and answering my prayers. Thanks. Brilliant. Um, sometime we'll fill you in on <laughs> quite a lot that's been going on and just thank you all for your amazing prayers but we're still in the midst of like real turmoil at the moment but what I thought God wanted me to say was just you know maybe some of you are in the middle of stuff too and Pam sent us last week this Bethel song Raise a Hallelujah and you know prayer is a weapon and praise is a weapon and every time we get bad news we just put on that song as loud as we can and we raise a hallelujah because God has given us a weapon that you know is completely different to this world so if you're struggling and I know some people have had really bad news this week as well so let's raise a hallelujah and be defiant because we can move the mountains as Paul said Peter 
Folks, not only was it a wonderful answer to prayer for many other people, I believe, when I asked Jesus into my life, and I was a 19-year-old, and that was a wonderful time for me. That was just the, it was God's pivotal moment for my life at that time. But I knew within months and that, because something that I found myself doing, it was funny, I found myself reading through uh, the commandments. And not that I was sort of wanting to go into the Old Testament, but I found that was something I was doing. And when it came to the fifth commandment, on thy father and mother, I broke down. Because the relationship with my dad had never been right, wasn't right. And I knew from that moment onwards that that was something I had to work out in my Christian walk. And I knew it was a, a very significant issue uh, for my maturity and for growth and I had to wait another 39 years for that and when dad at the age of 90 was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and I was the first one in the family to know that he was going and that was the diagnosis and the lovely doctor lady I can remember her now at Cambridge Addenbrooks she said to me he's only got weeks and I realised that uh, I needed a work of grace a miracle because uh, my relationship with dad had not been rectified and the ironic thing was that there was no one else in the family who actually wanted to be with my dad in his last days and I went on my knees and I got this word ministry to the dying and I thought well okay that means I've got to find someone of dad's generation his age perhaps someone knocking about who still survived the second world war who I can put in contact with dad but I realised it was me and and with great um, persuasion to I had to let my mum have time alone with my dad and that was that was okay because she had had enough anyway and uh, I sensed the ironic thing was it was a, a Friday night I went up to spend the weekend with dad and I I'd already I think God wisely asked me to speak to my boss at work and I said I'm, I said I think my dad's going to die this weekend I said I may not be in Monday so I want to give you advance notice that I need Monday off because Dad's going to be not around. And my boss was a bit, how can you ask for that sort of compassionate leave when it hasn't happened? And I said, well, I'll ring you 8 o'clock Monday morning to tell you what's happened. And uh, I went up and spent the weekend with him. And there was one thing I had remembered from Dad that when he was involved with the bombs dropping everywhere in the Second World War his famous verse he used to say to himself when he was in the RAF from Psalm 31 was my times are in your hands and he said that was the thing he used to say every time when there was activity going on in the war or there was some danger he used to utter that so as dad was slowly going downhill very very quickly and he couldn't talk because the, the effect of the illness he lost his speech but he could hear me and that was superb so I prayed over him and amazingly 
to my utter surprise I broke out in tongues and that was so encouraging because I could see he was coming alive himself spiritually and I looked at the watch and it was after 8 o'clock Sunday night and I thought well he hasn't got long to go he's losing weight he hasn't eaten properly he's on a drip and and he was dying at home because that's the way the, the medical profession did it in Cambridge this is in 2012 and I just said to him dad I want you to utter speak after me these words into my hands into your hands I commit my spirit I said into your hands I commit my spirit and he just his head bolted upright and he came right to my face and I saw him utter it and say it and he just died and you know as much as I was sorry to lose him there was amazing um, transmission of healing and I knew where he was I knew he'd gone to live with the Lord and that was, that was just superb and I just I felt just losing him but I felt in one sense <laughs> I the healing had taken place and and I'm longing that he's the first person after I meet Jesus when I get to heaven that I'll meet him you know, that's, and I felt that was a real that to me that was a real answer to prayer uh, because I've been concerned about dad's spiritual welfare for years and years and years um, and I won't going to go on to any about that but I I knew that it was a matter of literally life and death where he went and I was always concerned where he was going to go after he died but I know he's going to live with the Lord and I had and I slept well that night thank you so much okay you know sometimes the prayers that we pray get answered in a moment and sometimes we have to contend right to the end and sometimes we keep on praying and we still don't see the answer but we've been called to pray anyway um so what I've got for you tonight is not a blueprint, if you like, it's more of a line in the sand. I hope it's a little bit of direction for us as a church family as we pray. And um, my experience is that prayer works. And you've had four testimonies tonight about prayer working. Doesn't mean that we always get what we want, but prayer works. Prayer changes things. When, um, when Meg and I were looking at the job here, one of the things that was really attractive about All Saints, about you as a church family, was that, was that you were praying. You were praying a lot. As far as I could tell, you were praying kind of like all the time. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, and that was one of the things that was really attractive about coming here, was uh, encountering that and seeing how you prayed. So, you know, we, we love how, you, how this place has tried to kind of weave prayer into all sorts of things. And as we said, it's very rare that I go to a meeting or an encounter or a conversation and there's not some prayer that happens. But there are some, there are some issues and they're kind of wider issues if you like. The first is that I do think the way that we pray as a church needs to change. I don't mean this because we're necessarily doing it wrong or badly. I just mean that culture has shifted dramatically and as a church family, we, of, we often, as churches do, find ourselves doing the same old things that we've always done because that's, what, that's how you're supposed to do them. 
But there is a shift in Christian thinking to put discipleship right back at the heart of everything that we do. There's a couple of kind of key passages that I'd love just to highlight right at the start. The first is that Matthew chapter 6 passage uh, that includes the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your Father who's unseen. You know, prayer is supposed to be this shut away, uh, away thing that we, that we do by ourselves. Yet at the same time, it's also incredibly public. If you read Nehemiah, uh, there's a battle going on. A really significant battle. They're trying to rebuild the walls. There are people who want to oppose the work. And so what they do is they put people on guard to pray, but also to, to hold the ground. It's absolutely strategic and it's public. And when there are kind of extra kind of battle points where things are getting weary, what they do is they then they sound the alarm and more people come and join them. This is not private, shut away in a room. This is public. And of course, Colossians says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. I I, I don't know know how you are with the devote word, but if you track the devote word through uh, Scripture, uh, it, it doesn't have a great start because to devote is to give over, kill off and make holy to God. I mean, it's not a very pleasant route to go through if you're going to devote yourself to God, frankly, um, because it means the whole lot is just gone to him. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. I don't know what came to mind when you were talking with each other. For me, when I think about prayer, um, I've got a, a number of kind of rooms that I go to, but that's a whole nother thing. Um, but one of them has got a brown leather sofa in it. I mean, this is in my imagination because I can do this anywhere. A brown leather sofa and me and Jesus have coffee. And you know the great, one of the best things about that is he never drinks his, so I have to have two. So, uh, if you like, a line in the sand uh, just as direction for us and none of these are critical about here. They're actually more to do with the wider church scene and how we as Christians think about prayer. Um, So uh, here they are, and I I hope they're helpful, and then we'll try and land at the end. Um, They are seven flips, if you like, thinking from one way into another. And here is the first. I've got the controller, I think. Uh, so the first one is from pleading to positioning. You know, it's so easy to come before God and to plead with Him. You know, and to plead our case and to, and to get incredibly anxious and kind of almost bash the door of heaven. Don't you know what's going on, Lord? It's so awful down here. Come on, save us, kind of thing. You know, and actually, I, I, I just don't think that's how we're supposed to pray. If that's how we feel, pray it, because, you know, he wants to hear from you. Sometimes we need to go up a hill and throw rocks off the top. I mean, obviously, check there's no one underneath first. At a beach is better. Um, 
You know, sometimes we need to pray like that, but actually I think what God has got for us is, is much bigger and much broader than that. What he's got for us is, is what Paul started to talk about earlier on tonight. You know, that we have been included in the family. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We are being included in a royal family, princes and princesses. And we, and we don't pray into a void. We, we pray in the name of Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us all the time. Even when we're not praying, he's there at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us all the time. So our positioning is to come before the throne of God. And who's there? The Father's there. And Jesus is there. And then they're talking to each other already about our stuff. That's a totally different way to position ourselves than pleading for something to be done and something to change. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence, but always, always from a place of encountering the living God. Next one is from earth to heaven. You see, I think a lot of our praying, we slip into this kind of praying from down here, uh, trying to kind of get a message up there somewhere. And I'm kind of like, where do we, where do we get that from? You know, this old idea that God's got a beard and he's sitting on a cloud and somehow he's going to sort of wave, wave a magic wand from heaven and, and do something for us down here. I, I just don't think that's how he's taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Our praying is supposed to be from heaven to earth. It's the other way around. It's the other way around. We've been included in the heavenlies. We are citizens of heaven. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're not praying it from earth. We're praying it as part of the royal family. From earth, we need to flip it around so we're praying from heaven. From me to our You know, yes, yes, we're supposed to have a personal prayer life. Yes, Jesus can save you one at a time. Yes, it is, he calls you by name. But when his disciples ask him to be taught how to pray, Yes, he says, go and lock yourself in a way in a room. But when you get there, you're to pray like this. My father. It's not what he teaches them. He says, pray our father. And you know the joy about that. And, and whenever you hear folks give testimony about praying, you know, part of the joy of that testimony is that you weren't praying alone. 
the family was praying with you. And when you have run out of energy and strength to pray, know that we are praying with you and for you. Our Father, not just my Father. And in a similar vein, from all saints to all the saints. You know, I I happen to love this place. I think it's great. But you know, we, we haven't got all the answers and we haven't got it sewn up. And there is a wider church family across Bath. Some of them, some of them are, you might not be aware of this, but are Anglicans. Church of England. Yeah, that's what this place is, by the way. And I am, I've been ordained by, I was ordained by Rowan Williams. Must be official, the chief beardy one. Um, but you know what? The church, the church is the Baptist church and the Methodist Church, and the Assemblies of God Church, and the Elim Church, and those that are actually absolutely determined not to be a denominational church, given time they will be. It's all of them. All of us. One church across the city and across the nation, praying together with Jesus as the head. All the saints not just all saints. It doesn't mean that we get let off lightly in terms of uh, saying, well, hey, someone else is going to be praying so we don't have to. No, it's good for us to pray too. But actually, let's remember that we are praying with the church across Bath, across the nation, across the world. From an hour to without ceasing. You know, let me just big up the folks that um, go and pray at either either really early on a Tuesday morning. Just kind of nod at me rather than wave a hand. Okay, I know some of you are here, and I, I, I get there very occasionally. I'm terrible in the mornings, okay? There's a bunch of folks that come here and pray early on a Tuesday morning. There's another bunch that pray at 10 o'clock, and we do communion together. There's another bunch that come for come together on Tuesday evenings. You know... These are fantastic things to do. Fantastic. And I think about the things that you guys have shifted on earth because of your praying. Absolutely brilliant. But but here's the thing. If our praying as a church is an hour on a Tuesday evening or a Tuesday morning, folks, where were the other 280 of us? And that's just the adults. Actually, those were quite small gatherings. Powerful gatherings, but quite small. You see, it's got to somehow be more than an hour, and we've got to move to thinking about praying without ceasing. Somehow we've got to get the plugs in the wall, the Wi-Fi on for all of us, all the time, so that when those things happen, when those hours happen that they are an overflow of the life that God of the stuff that God is already doing in us. And believe me, I don't want those things to stop. We got to pray more, not less. But somehow we've got to communicate to the whole of the church family that this is about praying without ceasing, always on. An ongoing conversation. 
And sometimes some of those kind of conversations don't always have a lot of words in them. You know, it's like that with people sometimes, isn't it? The ones that you're most comfortable with, you can just sit there with them and you don't have to talk, but you're there with them. That's always on. That's prayer without ceasing. Um, Next one. Um, From experts to everyone. You know, prayer is not something for experts. We are going to have some experts here. We're going to have some people that are really, really good at praying and really good at particular types of praying. And boy, do we need you. But you know, prayer is for everybody. It's not something we can, we can delegate to some experts. We'll still have leaders in prayer, but I hope and I pray that those leaders will be the kind of folks that equip the body for the things that the rest of us have got to do as well. See, my expectation, and I hope it's yours, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, He's called you in, but he's also called you out. He's sent you out. And that means that your job description includes, to name a few things, working hard for the Lord in whatever you do. If you're paid to be an accountant, you are going to be the bestest accountant that you've ever been, that there ever was. Whatever your job is. But it also includes heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. And if you've been a Christian for more than 20 minutes, well, more than 10, then this is on your job description. And you don't need a degree before you start. You know, sometimes I get these little requests. This is what I mean about moving from experts to everyone. Sometimes I get these little requests, and the the request um, uh, kind of goes... Sometimes it comes in with a phone call. Sometimes it's with someone. hasn't ha- hasn't happened very much here. Um, used to happen quite a lot in Torquay. Uh, are you the vicar? Yes. Right, vicar. Uh, uh, we need you to come round to our house. Why? Uh, stuff's moving around the house. Okay. Right. Uh, do you want it to stop? Yes, we do. Excellent. So we go around to the house and they describe what's happening and, and yes, there is stuff moving in the house. There is bad stuff going on in the house. And if you think that that doesn't happen, folks, it does happen. Okay? That is a real thing. It really does happen. But I think there is this expectation, even when Christians ask me to do that, that I will come in wearing some super badge because I've been ordained by Rowan Williams, the one with the beard, And I will kind of lay hands on things and everything will come to pass and it will all be amazing and peaceful again. When I go into a house like that, the last thing that I want to do is pray. What I want to do, because if I pray, frankly, the place will be nice and tidy for about half an hour. And I mean spiritually tidy. Alright, and then all of those folks are going to come back and they're going to bring all their mates. However, if I can really quickly train up whoever's house it is to pray, and it doesn't take very long, you know, it starts with, do you want to follow Jesus? Who's that? Okay, let me tell you about him. Yeah? You know, that might need to be part one of the training course. You know, once we got past that, is do you, do you, there's, there'll be there'll be there'll be reasons why this stuff's in here, okay? 
you're doing bad stuff. Are you going to stop? All right? Because otherwise there's no point in us doing the cleaning up. Oh, yeah, yes, ma'am. All right, then. And then we go through a simple prayer around the house. And it is around every door frame. And it's around phone sockets, computers nowadays, because they're the doorways into people's homes. But they do all the praying, not me. And the reason why I get them to do it is because then if they get trouble next week, they know what to do. They know what to do. And they don't need me to come back. And I want everyone in this place to be able to do the things that God has called them to do. And for some amazing people to kind of be pushing out into all sorts of kind of... um, like SAS prayers, going around in secret and doing the kind of commando style stuff of mopping things up in the background, but probably no one else will ever know that you've done it. We need that too. Um, from cautious to courageous. You know, I think sometimes the prayers that we, that we pray are just about simple enough and, and kind of small enough that we could probably answer them in our own strength and we don't need him to get involved. And I think he probably honours prayers like that. You know, he's like, oh yeah, well done. Go and get on with it then. <laughs> and maybe actually what we need to do is start praying some prayers that are so outrageous that they take some courage to stand in those places. You know, I know some of you have been praying those kind of prayers for decades. And my encouragement to you is to keep on pressing into those kind of prayers. But you know, don't make them smaller. Make them bigger. Pray in what that person will become who God has made them to be. Pray that the years that the locusts have, taught, have, have eaten away in their life will be paid back tenfold, a hundredfold with what God's going to do with that person once they've said yes to him. From cautious to courageous. So here's my um, seven flips from pleading to positioning, from earth to heaven, from me to our, from all saints to all the saints. From an hour to without ceasing, from experts to everyone, and from cautious to courageous. If I could sum it up, it would be with um, this little sentence, short sentence, and then we're going to pray. That we would live from a place of overflow, of continuous encounter with the living God I think I've said quite enough it'd be good to pray wouldn't it